The Art of Cheese Making, an ancient and somewhat intimidating craft. Here's my take on it. Welcome to the Homesteading Roller Coaster. My name is Ilaria, and in this podcast, I share my family's adventures on Tatum Hills Farm, our property on Nanawal Country, just outside of Canberra, Australia. We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize the continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. In this podcast, we discuss anything to do with farm life, homesteading, sustainable living, growing your own and much more. So let's get started. I'd like to dedicate this episode to Edwin, a lovely homesteader in our community who passed away recently. I got to meet Edwin when he asked if I could give him some of our goat's milk and in return he very kindly shared the cheese that he was making from it. He gave me a bunch of tips and I did have a go at making cheese his way but he was way too skilled and my cheese did not compare to his so I found my own way but his kind smile definitely did encourage me to keep going and find a method that worked for me so thank you. When we got goats six years ago making cheese was very top of my list. I was super keen and I started trying straight away But as it turns out, there is a reason why certain products are made from certain animals' milk and other products are made from other animals' milks. So that became pretty obvious straight away. Most recipes that I could find and most information that I could find was specific to cow's milk and I had goats. So... I'm pretty sure it was a combination of the fact that I had no idea what I was doing and the fact that my milk didn't react like the test books suggested. I found myself making things that did not seem like what I was expecting. So I had to try and experiment a little bit. And um, I was just in the height of my experimentation, trying to make different types of cheeses. And um, I was just uh, dubbing my toes in making cheese that had a little bit of a rind, so just a little bit um, aged cheese. And I was producing some interesting stuff, experimenting with some moulds. And um, that's when I found out I was pregnant with my second child. So I thought, well, as much as I'm pretty sure I'm not creating anything deadly, testing a whole heap of soft cheeses on myself while I'm pregnant just didn't seem like the best idea. So that brought my cheese-making career to a, a very premature halt. And then I had my pregnancy, I had my second baby, and of course then I was too busy to make cheese. Meanwhile, I was making soap. So the milk that we had in excess, which wasn't all that much, was being used in the soap, so nothing ever got wasted. But more recently, maybe in the last couple of years, that baby is now four. Um, In the last couple of years, I've gone back to a 
mostly because the whole point why we have goats is that I'm not overly fond of the ethical side of the dairy industry. The whole thing of the calves being separated from the cows and the milk being taken and some of the calves being killed and all of that just really doesn't sit very well with me. And mind you, we are not self-sufficient for cheese. We are self-sufficient for fresh milk, but not for cheese. But I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could produce a cheese that can at least reduce the amount of cheese that we buy? And so... I started looking for ways of making a cheese that I could make quickly and reliably. A lot of cheese recipes are very long and complicated and very exacting. And so I just needed something that could fit in with my busy lifestyle and that would still return an edible product. And so I set out to testing a few different recipes. I have a bunch of books and uh, obviously the internet is a huge resource and I thought okay well I have goats not cows but surely you know goat's milk is a thing you know lots of people make cheese um, from goats so I started trying a few different things now one cheese that I had mastered at the very beginning almost straight away after my um, goats arrived was chevre and that is a soft spreadable cheese that at least here in Australia you can buy in little logs and it's often covered with spices such as black pepper and a variety of herbs and it costs a fortune so I was pretty happy that that is actually probably the easiest cheese you can ever make the process for making it is pretty much the same as yogurt. You warm up the milk to the correct temperature, you pour in the chevre culture which comes as a powder, you can buy it online, you give it a mix, you keep it warm and I don't have a yogurt maker or anything, I just you know keep it in a warm spot in the house maybe with a towel wrapped around the pot and by morning the whole thing is gone Uh, thicker and you can just drain it and put in a container and you have your cheese so that was very exciting and um, yeah that that was just my simplest easiest quickest cheese but that's not very good if you want to melt it or if you want to have something that maybe you can cut So I started experimenting um, with uh, a few of the simpler recipes I had found and I also asked around other goat keepers uh, what kind of um, cheeses they were making. And I've landed on a method and a cheese that works pretty well. Now I'd like to tell you that it's a super reliable recipe but I can't. Mainly because I'm not a super reliable cheese maker. So Every time I make it, the temperatures and the timings of each step fluctuate quite a bit. A lot of cheese recipes, if you read them, they will direct you to specific temperatures, very specific quantities, and they will give you um, very strict times when the milk has to be at that temperature and then move to this other temperature and so on. 
And I've tried making cheese that way with varying results. But the problem is that that is usually a whole day or sometimes even multiple days um, job. And, and it's a lot of time and a lot of, you know, really monitoring the situation. I don't have time for that. So the method I've found is an extremely forgiving one. It's a sort of a um, feta kind of cheese that comes out, but to be honest, it is a little bit different depending on what temperatures and times I end up doing. So, but the main point is that the product is yummy enough for the family to enjoy. It melts, it doesn't quite you know, melt completely like a mozzarella, but it melts enough that you can put it on pizza and um, You can keep it for a few weeks, although we usually struggle to keep it that long. Um, But if you keep it for a few weeks, it does mature and it does change the flavor. Uh, I don't know if for the better, like it it doesn't get worse. It does change the flavor. So I think I like it fresh as well. So to me, that's a good flavor. And uh, as it ages, is still a good flavor. So I don't think it necessarily improves, but it changes. So you can have, I guess, a variety of tastes from the same recipe. For me, it's very important when I start a new um, craft to understand the basic science behind it. Just like with soap, you can find loads and loads of recipes online, but if you don't understand the um, science of it and the things that are necessary to produce the soap as opposed to the nice to have, it is very hard to customize things and to turn them into something you can work with creatively. So if you're interested in that, you can go and listen to our soap episode. But for cheese, it was very much the same situation. So. I just really wanted to understand what are the crucial steps. So cheese is made obviously from milk and milk is not a liquid but is an emulsion. So it's a mixture of something liquid and something solid, some fats and proteins. So what you want to do when you're making cheese is separate the two. You will have your solids on one side and that will be the curd and your liquid on the other side, and that will be the way. In nature, this happens in the stomach of baby animals that drink milk. They have an enzyme in their stomach that's called rennet, so um, calves or baby goats, and with that, they're able to separate the milk and digest it. So originally, to make cheese, you would use rennet, that was extracted from the stomach of baby animals. Now you can imagine that might not be the most baby animal friendly kind of activity because obviously you have to kill them. Thankfully now there is a vegetarian version of rennet, although you can still buy animal derived rennet. I think the vegetarian version, which is what I use, actually comes from a plant from the thistle family that produces an enzyme that mimics that of animal rennet. So you can buy the rennet as tablets and then dilute them in water or you can buy it as a liquid solution. I just buy it liquid just because it's quick and easy. I keep it in the fridge and I've never had a problem with it. 
I order it online. It's pretty cheap and easy to source, so that's great. You can also buy a bunch of cultures, and similar to the chevre culture that I was mentioning earlier, and um, those give um, different flavors to your cheese because they provide um, some bacteria to your cheese, which will change the flavor. I've tried a few of them. For the cheeses I make, they don't seem to be making a huge difference, unless, of course, I'm making chevre, then I don't even use rennet. I just use the chevre culture. And so, apart from the chevre, I've done away with the cultures, just one less complication. So then, the whole process of cheesemaking is hinged on having the rennet, this enzyme, working correctly to separate your curds from the whey, so the solid and the uh, liquid parts of the cheese. And so what does the rennet need to function? Well, the rennet is not very fussy. It needs, obviously, a milk environment, and it needs a temperature that's around 37 to 40 degrees Celsius. That's it. And some time. So that's all I do. I take my milk and I warm it up to a temperature that's between 37 and 40 degrees. And I'm not too fussed about it. I do it very simply. I just have a pot. I put my milk in it. I strain my milk just because it's not store-bought milk. It's raw milk from my goats. And so there could be a goat's hair or a bit of grass. So I just strain it. That takes about two seconds. And um, I pour it in my pot and I just have a long thermometer, old mercury thermometer, that I put in my pot and then I start the pot on low for about, depending on how much milk I have, but maybe about 20 minutes. You do need to keep a bit of an eye on it, but because I put it on a timer on my stove and I put it for not very long at a low temperature, I found that that works for me and I don't have to worry about it burning. So I can set it and forget it. So I come back about 20 minutes, half an hour later, my stove tends to beep when it's uh, finished the timing. And so I go and check it. If it is between 37 and 40 degrees, great. Otherwise, I extend the time again. So yes, obviously you're cooking, you need to be home, but it's not something that you need to sit there and watch all the time. So for me, that's really important. Once I've got the correct temperature, I pour some rennet in the pot. Again, there is a lot of detail about how much rennet you should be adding. And usually they're really minute quantities. So I used to measure it and it used to be a very exacting um, step. But the rennet is not very expensive and I want the reaction to happen quite quickly because I don't have all day to sit around. So I don't actually measure it anymore. I just squirt a little bit. I have a pot that holds about five liters of milk and I usually squirt probably maybe one teaspoon of rennet, but you will have to experiment with yours because obviously it will depend on how much milk you have, what type of milk you have, and also on the concentration of the rennet that you buy. So that requires a little bit of experimentation. But basically my idea is it doesn't have to be that exact. If in doubt, just add a bit more. It's not an expensive ingredient. And it allows, if you put a bit more, it allows for the reaction to happen faster and you just get your cheese faster. And I haven't really found 
any adverse effects to having more rennet in your cheese. So I just sprinkle a little bit of rennet onto the warm milk, give it a little stir just with my thermometer that's already in the milk, and I let it sit. I think the original recipe called for it to sit for about an hour. I've let it sit anywhere from about 40 minutes, 45 minutes to overnight, just depending on what's happening in my life. More than once I've forgotten all about it and it just sat there and it's totally fine. I have found that if it sits there for longer, it tends to become a spongier consistency of cheese, whereas if it sits there for less, it tends to be a more compact cheese. So that's something you might want to consider. I like the flavour of both, so I don't particularly mind. Once I see that all the solids, so the curd, has all um, separated from the liquid, the whey, then it's time to cut the curds. And again, there is a whole science behind that about cutting them one way or another way. You can buy specific curd cutting knives and it's all, you know, there's a lot of information about how to do that. But again, for me, going back to the why you're doing something can really tell you whether you can cut corners or not. So the reason why you're cutting your curds so is because you want to um, increase the surface area of the curds because the next step will be to heat them up again so that they release even more whey. And so for me, it doesn't really matter if they're cut into perfect cubes by a curd knife or if they're just scrambled randomly by me squishing about with my uh, thermometer that I already have in my pot. So I do the latter. I just use the thermometer. I can sometimes, I can use a knife, but I don't have a knife that's long enough. So I just find the thermometer, which is nice and long, works just fine. I break up the curds the best way I can into pieces of whatever size and then I put it on the stove again. Obviously while I was sitting there with the rennet for an hour or overnight the temperature of the mixture has lowered. So I put it back on the stove and my aim is to go back to that 37 to 40 degrees because that is the temperature where the magic happens. So I heat it up again and again I'm not too fast, I'm not measuring too carefully, I set it up again for another 20 minutes on low, keep a bit of an eye on it, when the timer goes I'll check if it's reached temperature, great, if it hasn't then so be it. Sometimes I've left it on really really low stove for a bit longer just to just maintain the temperature rather than reaching a higher temperature. So you can do that as well and experiment with a few different methods. But the idea is you want to keep your solution, so your curds and whey, at a temperature of about 37 to 40 degrees for about an hour again so that the whey that is still inside the curds can come out and that gives you firmer curds, so firmer cheese. So you do that and again after that you're meant to move on to the next step straight away and plenty of times I haven't been able to so there's been lags and the cheese has still turned out perfectly edible. So then the next step is the draining. So you drain your curds 
And I will put some pictures on Instagram. So if you follow us on Facebook and Instagram, we're at Tatum Hills, T-A-T-U-M Hills Farm. And there I will post some pictures um, to show you my setup, which is extremely simple. So all I have is another pot and I have a cheese mold. Uh, but really, I use a cheese mold because when I first started, I felt like I needed all this specific equipment. But all it is, is a plastic basket. So you can totally use any strainer. That would be totally fine. I put my cheese mold, or you can put your strainer, inside my pot. And then I line it. And again, originally I bought cheesecloth because, you know, you're making cheese. So you need cheesecloth. I find cheesecloth really annoying. It's really hard to clean and it's a specific item you need to have for that job. It's not very good for any other jobs. So now I just use a clean tea towel. So I get a clean tea towel, I line my mold with it and then I fish out all my uh, curds out of my pot and I pour them into my clean tea towel. As I'm doing that, I'm breaking up the curds again with my spoon or whatever I'm using, and I'm adding salt. Now, I found that really that is a crucial step. I was originally trying to make a cheese that was as pure as possible and was putting very little salt. But when I started putting a reasonable amount of salt, the taste really improved. So Cheese that you buy contains a lot of salt. So if you want to make something that it's edible for somebody who's used to commercial cheese, then you might want to add some salt. And again, you'll be horrified to know that I don't measure it. So I just, as I'm adding my curd, for every layer of curd that I add, I put probably a scant um, fistful of of salt so i'm adding quite a bit of salt i will put up pictures of my of my cheese it's probably maybe two or three hundred grams when finished and it probably has a good maybe one third of a cup to a half a cup of salt in it so it's quite salty you don't have to put that much um it, it isn't as much as it sounds but certainly I found that more salt really enhances the flavor. So you don't have to put as much of, as that, but keep in mind that if you don't like the result of what you've made, you might want to try and up the salt as a first port of call to improve the flavor. So once I've got my salt in it, I just keep sort of stirring the curds in the mold to make sure the salt is distributed evenly. And then all I do, I just close my... Um, I just close my tea towel over the top of my curds and then I have a, um, it's just a little piece of uh, plastic that came with my mold that is the, it's just the exact shape of the mold so that it's like a stopper so that I can have a flat surface on top of it uh, but I did it for years without that so it's not necessary and then I put a jar over the top of it which I have found that fits perfectly into my mold and then I put a bunch of heavy books on top of the jar and that's my cheese press. You can buy really complicated cheese presses or you can make them but I found this method works for me. It's not a super heavy press so you won't get a super compact cheese but again for my purposes it's great and it costs me next to nothing and so 
that's it. That's my cheese mold. And I leave it there usually overnight. My one gets on the, goes on the floor and gets wedged between my couch and uh, um, a piece of furniture just so that the books don't fall off. I will put pictures of that uh, on um, social media as well so you can see how incredibly simple it is. Literally something you can do with the stuff you've already got at home. And um, that's it. The next morning I unmold it, put it in a container, put it in the fridge. You can salt it again or you can add herbs or you can add oil. Um, you know, you can flavor it whichever way you like and you can eat it straight away. You can cut it straight away the next day into slices or you can leave it there for a couple of weeks and eat it later and see how the flavor develops. That's it. It's really not that hard and also it's not that scary. I also started by sterilizing everything to begin with and now I don't anymore I mean obviously I'm using clean utensils a clean kitchen I've got clean hands I tried never to stick my bare hands into the cheese but I've never had a problem with things going moldy we don't keep our cheese for very long you know it will last a month tops in the fridge so I don't find there's any issues with contamination. Of course, if you're going to keep it out of the fridge because you want it to mature or you want it to form a rind, then if you've introduced any bacteria, there might be some growths happening that you might not want. But for what I'm doing, I don't need to be too paranoid about sterility. I just need to have clean things just like you would when you're cooking. So that works really well. And that's it. That's how I make cheese. Now that you have your cheese, you will notice your pot is still not empty. You have a heap of whey left behind. So there's a number of things you can do with it. You don't want to waste it because it's an amazing resource. If you're me, you can make soap with it. And that's certainly a valid way of using it. You can make whey soap, which is almost the same as milk soap. Um, so a great way of using it. But there's lots of other ways you can use it. I use it in cooking pretty much wherever there's milk or sometimes even water called for. So you might use it in soups or in cakes or you can use it um, you know, in the slow cooker if you're making a stew. Um, yeah, anywhere where you need a bit of moisture, it's just a great way. It adds extra protein and a little bit of extra flavor. Now, because our whey comes from goats, as you cook it and heat it up really high, maybe in a stew, it will impart a little bit of goaty flavor. So goat's milk doesn't have the goaty flavor at all. But as it gets heated, it will give off that goaty flavor. So that's something to consider if you're using goat's milk. You may or may not like that. We don't particularly mind. I also use it, you know, you can give it to the chickens. I give it to our plants. Um, I mostly give it to either the chickens, the plants, or make bread with it. Those are my go-to. So I make a lot of bread and pizza. And uh, that's probably an episode coming up. Also very simple ways of doing that. And I just substitute all of the water in the recipe for whey. So that is a great thing to make cheese and then the same day or later the next day um, make bread or just make some dough that you can freeze or make pizza. 
with your um, your way so make sure you don't waste it it is a great resource it just takes a little bit of imagination to use it uh, but it's uh, perfectly edible i've even put it in smoothies and instead of milk or instead of water and it works beautifully so um, yeah hold on to your way and enjoy it because your animals or somebody else's animals worked hard to produce it just like they did the milk And that's it for another episode of the Homesteading Roller Coaster. If you enjoyed the content, we'd love it if you subscribed. We'd also really appreciate a rating and review on your podcast platform. Or send us a message. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Tatum Hills Farm. That's T-A-T-U-M Hills Farm. Or on our website at www.tatumhillsfarm.com.au. Thank you for listening. Bye.